Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning. For those of you who haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And let me just say, since I wasn't here last week, Happy New Year to everybody. Anybody have a New Year's resolution? Anybody want to share it? I'm just kidding. Was all your New Year's resolution to come to church? Well, we are beginning a new series for the next few weeks focused on the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And parables are these stories that Jesus would tell to help people understand what God was doing. Parable comes from the Greek word that means to lay alongside or to throw alongside. So Jesus would take God's activity or the kingdom of God, as he called it, and throw alongside something that people could understand so that they could see what God was doing in their lives and in the world. So we're going to begin with Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. I invite you to hear the word of God. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Join me in prayer. Lord, you have gathered us here. You have brought us together. And Lord, we ask that through your scriptures now, you would teach us. You would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our ears to what it is you'd be saying to us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we understand what your scriptures speak to us. May we understand what this parable speaks to us. And in a bigger picture, Lord, may we understand what the gospel of Mark is trying to help us understand. Speak to us now through your scriptures. Shape us and form us into your likeness, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's not just this series that we're going to be focusing on the gospel of Mark. We're actually going to be looking at the gospel of Mark between now and the beginning of summer, really. And the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's easy to hear all these different stories, to hear all these different things Jesus does, to see all of his teaching in the four different Gospels, and to just merge it all together. But the truth is, each of the Gospels has a unique voice. Each of the Gospels has a unique way that it presents Jesus. And each of the Gospels 
deserves to be looked at on its own terms. Mark isn't Matthew. Luke isn't Mark. John isn't Mark. They're all different, unique, trying to show us a specific perspective of Jesus. Sometimes they have the same stories. Sometimes they have different stories. Sometimes they take stories from each other and they change them slightly. And all of it's meant to help us understand Jesus. And each of those four different perspectives are important. So we're going to be looking at just the gospel of Mark and trying to really hear Mark's voice and what Mark has to tell us about Jesus. So before we really dive into the parable, though, I want to talk a little bit about the gospel of Mark. I want to explain what makes this gospel unique. So I want to start with a very, very basic question. Who wrote the gospel of Mark? Well, the tradition is that Mark was a disciple or follower of Peter, and Mark wrote down what Peter was preaching. That's the tradition. But that tradition only developed a couple hundred years after we know the gospel was written, approximately. So a bunch of scholars uh, years ago, for the last actually 100 years or so, they, they sat down and they tried to figure out who actually wrote this gospel. They did all of this historical study. They went through all these different methods of trying to determine what has happened in the past. And they came up with a truly brilliant answer. The answer is, who knows? The truth is, we don't really know who wrote the gospel of Mark, or who wrote the gospel of Matthew, or who wrote the gospel of Luke, or who wrote the gospel of John. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because tradition assigned those names to them. But the truth is, we really don't know who wrote these books. None of them say the gospel of Jesus Christ written by John Mark circa this date. The ancient world just didn't do authorship in the way that we do it today. So we don't exactly know who wrote the Gospel of Mark, but the truth is it doesn't really matter for a couple of reasons. One reason is for all of the Gospels, they're written anonymously, probably because that was just normal in the time, but also, I think, because the point isn't who wrote it. The point is who it's about. The Gospels are about Jesus, and the point of these books is that you will encounter Jesus. You will understand Jesus. So whoever wrote it is secondary at best. The main point is who it is about, and that's Jesus. The other reason that I don't think it matters all that much about who wrote the Gospel of Mark is that very likely this Gospel wasn't just one person sitting down writing it. There was a whole process that likely took place. Stories that were told about Jesus for decades after his ministry that were shared and passed down. And they'd be written, and then they'd be put all together. And that's most likely how these Gospels come about. We know that Mark is likely the earliest of these Gospels because Matthew and Luke have large portions of the Gospel of Mark in them. So Matthew and Luke were taking Mark and adding some things to Mark changing some things to give us a different perspective of Jesus. In fact, about a third of the gospel of Luke is just Mark. So these gospels, they're more from communities. They're more from multiple people putting together their own voices, saying this is what Jesus said. Now, one person probably did sit down at one point and edit it all. But in terms of who actually wrote it, 
Think of it more as coming from an entire church community. A group of people who have all experienced Jesus and wanted others to experience Jesus through this writing and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of Mark was produced. So that's one question there. Who wrote the Gospel of Mark? Another question is, when was the Gospel of Mark written? Again, this is a question that historians, they sat down. They used their methods to try to figure it out. And at the end of the day, they came up with yet another brilliant answer. Again, who knows? We don't know exactly when this gospel was written. The best guess, the, the most likely estimate is somewhere between 65 AD and 80 AD. Somewhere in that 15-year span, most likely the gospel of Mark was written down and edited and finalized in the form that we have. Most likely. But we're not certain. What is important about that, though, is within that 15-year span, when you really think about it, that's remarkably close to the events that the Gospel of Mark is seeking to describe. That's only 30 to 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So there would have been people who would have been there who would have been alive. People who would have seen Jesus, who would have been part of this process, who'd be able to say, this is what they got right. This is what they didn't get right. This is how it actually happened. Actual eyewitnesses would have been there as this gospel was being formed within that time frame. To me, that's remarkable. And as I said, we're pretty confident that Mark is the first of the gospels to be written down. Now, a third question here about Mark. What is unique to the gospel of Mark? Or what makes the gospel of Mark unique in comparison to the other gospels? They all have their different perspectives. They all have their different things they're trying to teach us about Jesus. They all come from different types of church communities. A professor of mine explained the differences between the Gospels to me with a great analogy that I appreciate. So I want to let you all know, I'm stealing what I'm about to tell you. I did not think of this on my own. But he said, think of the four different Gospels as different churches. In our world today, different types of churches. The Gospel of Matthew. If the Gospel of Matthew were a church today, the Gospel of Matthew would be a big, wealthy, suburban church with a large education building. It would be in a very wealthy community. We know this because of a number of clues, but Matthew's Gospel comes from a community where there was wealth, and it's written to a community where there was wealth. Jesus sends out his disciples, and he tells them, don't take your gold with you. He only says that if they have gold that they could take. So there's wealth there. And there's a number of other clues also. And the education building. Well, Matthew focuses the most on education, on understanding the law, on learning. Matthew's gospel begins with what's called the Sermon on the Mount, this ethical teaching that is extensive. It covers three chapters. We studied it last year. So that would be Matthew's church. Luke's church would be a middle-class church. They wouldn't have gold, but they would have silver. They'd be in that category. And they wouldn't have a big, large education building. They'd have a big fellowship hall where they'd host banquets and meals. Because when you read the Gospel of Luke, the picture of heaven is a meal. And Jesus very often has dinner with different people. And the parables Jesus tells end up with banquets and feasts and festivals people eating together in fellowship. That would be the emphasis of Luke's church. 
the Gospel of John would very likely be a bunch of Christian hippies in a house church holding hands singing Kumbaya. I'm going to be honest with you, that's not probably my church. But that's the Gospel of John. It's more focused on spiritual things than this world. It's more focused on the connections between individual people and Jesus' individual conversations that he has with people. That would be the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of Mark, what would Mark's church be? Mark's church would be a run-down church that's falling apart. They wouldn't have a lot of money at all. They would feel downtrodden. They would have been persecuted. Things wouldn't be going. The church would be struggling. Mark's community, this gospel, where it's written to, where it comes from, there wasn't a lot of money there. We know that because when Jesus sends out his disciples in the gospel of Mark, he doesn't tell them to not take their gold because they don't have gold. He basically says, don't take any of your copper. They don't have any money. And there's persecution going on. The gospel of Mark focuses on that persecution more than any of the other gospels. So Mark is not the fanciest gospel. Mark is not the most put together gospel. In fact, Mark, when you read it in Greek, has pretty bad grammar. There's some theories that the writer of the Gospel of Mark, the person who actually put all this down, that Greek was a second language to the writer of the Gospel of Mark. It it reads very clumsy. Sometimes the words aren't in the correct order. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly is meant in a different phrase. It's not written very clearly. But here's another way, I think, of thinking about the Gospel of Mark. One of my favorite kinds of music, and this is going to turn some of you off, but just bear with me here, okay? I, I really love punk rock. You knew I was going to say that? Yep. Ah, punk rock. I love it. Um, I, I, since I was a junior higher, I've just had this thing with punk rock. It's not necessarily my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. And my favorite band is a punk band. I'm not going to tell you which one, though. Probably not one you've never heard of, just trust me. But when you think about punk rock, it's sloppy. If you're a real musician, it doesn't sound right. But there's something in that sloppiness that creates this authenticity. There's this energy that comes across with how intense the music is. It just kind of overwhelms you and sucks you into the music. The Gospel of Mark is like that. It's a little sloppy. It's not as put together as the other Gospels, but it has this intensity about it. If the Gospel of Mark were a movie, there would be constant zoom-ins to Jesus' face. The other Gospels have these stories, and they kind of shorten them and clean them up. Mark leaves them long and rather complicated and focuses on Jesus and gives you all these details that you don't really need for the sake of the story, but he creates a picture of Jesus. That's the gospel of Mark. And because of that, I I think Mark's one of my favorite gospels. It's the punk rock gospel. So to honor that, Lee's going to be doing punk for this whole series for our worship. (laughs) So I want you to get ready, okay? It's going to be quite a show that we're going to have here. I'm kidding, but... (laughs) No, (laughs) I I won't put everybody through that. But with the Gospel of Mark, there's a few other things that make this Gospel unique also. 
Mark is the shortest gospel. When you look at the other gospels, Mark is the shortest. It's only 15, 16 chapters, thereabouts, depending on how, which ending you use. Remember I said this is a process. If you go and you look at your Bibles, you're going to find three different endings from the gospel of Mark. It's like a pick, choose your own adventure type of ending there. That's that process, though, of different people adding to these stories and, and collecting these stories. I already mentioned that Mark is the poor of the Gospels, that this community that comes from, they're downtrodden. They don't have a lot of money. They're, they're being persecuted. In the Gospel of Mark, there's less teaching. The other Gospels have these long teachings from Jesus. But in the Gospel of Mark, we don't really get long, extensive teachings. Mark will talk about Jesus' teaching, say that he teaches with authority, but the actual content of it isn't there. In Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount that sets the stage for Jesus' teaching. In Luke, we have what's called the Sermon on the Plain that sets the stage for Jesus' teaching. In John, we have all these I am statements and all these dialogues that Jesus has. But in Mark, we don't really get an extensive explanation of his teaching. In fact, the first teaching that Jesus does that's clear, that's not just one or two lines, are the, are the parables that we're going to be looking at. That's why we're starting off this series with the parables. This is how Jesus teaches, and they're not very clear. And then as I mentioned also, Mark comes from a context of persecution. The early church was experiencing persecution. So with all of that, explanation about the gospel of Mark. With all that background, I want to take a look at this parable of the sower one more time. The parable of the sower is the one that I read here. And in it, the sower goes out to throw seeds. Some of the seeds land on the path. Some of the seeds land on rocks. Some of the seeds land on thorns. And some of the seeds land on good soil. And the only one that produces is the seed that landed on good soil. Jesus will go on to explain this parable because his followers in that moment weren't able to understand what it is, what it means. And in Jesus' explanation, he says this, The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things comes in and chokes, chokes the word. And it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So in this parable, the seeds, where they land, it represents people. And if you noticed and you did the math, there's four different kinds of people in this parable. They all hear the word, but three of the four fall away. 75% of the routes available for people who hear the word result in them not bearing fruit. Think about that picture from this parable in the context of a community that is struggling. 
in a context of a church that just can't seem to gain traction, that is being persecuted, that is poor, that doesn't have a lot going on. They must be thinking, one, that they're grateful that they're apparently the good soil because they're still there. They're persevering. But they must also be thinking about all of those people who fell away. All of those people who were on the road or on the rocks or in the thorns. All those people who were no longer with them following Jesus, who had strayed because of persecution or strayed because they wanted money or wealth. There must have been a sense of grief there. And a question that I can't help but believe they were asking is, how do we persevere? How do we stay the good soil? How do we not fall away like all these other people? How do we persevere in the faith? In that way, I think Mark's community, when they're receiving this parable, I think they're not that different than many of us. Now, if you've paid attention to American culture in the last 100 years or so, well, 70 years or so, I'm sure that you've heard some sort of narrative about how the church is dying or fading away in our country and how fewer young people are going to church. And I'm sure every single one of us has a child or a friend or a relative that has walked away from faith. How do we persevere in the faith? I'll be honest, this parable doesn't have a lot of answers to that question. In the parable, it, the seeds don't get to decide where they fall. They're just sown by the sower. Jesus' point doesn't seem to be, here's the three steps to how you persevere in the faith, to how you are the good soil, how you can be on the good soil. That doesn't seem to be Jesus' point. Though it raises that question, it doesn't seem to be what Jesus is focused on. But one clue I think we can rest in is that the seeds don't actually determine where they fall. It's up to the sower. And trusting in the sower is what helps us to persevere in the faith. How do we persevere in the faith? How do others persevere in the faith? At the end of the day, it's by the grace of God. And maybe you're somebody where you're wondering, do I still want to follow Jesus? Is this still a life I want to live? And you're wrestling with those doubts. Well, the truth is, it's by the grace of God that any of us ever remains good soil, that any of us ever follows Jesus, that any of us ever, ever stays faithful. It's by the grace of God ultimately. So the point is to trust in that grace, even in the midst of doubts, even in the midst of uncertainty, to trust in God's grace, not be afraid of doubts, but to trust in God's grace. And that's true for people we know that have walked away from faith also. You can't force them to be in good soil, but you can love them, you can care for them, and you can trust God's grace for them also. But that's just this parable. Because I want to take a step back here, and I want to look at something else. This question of how do we persevere in the faith, that's a question that runs throughout the Gospel of Mark. And I think the very evidence of the Gospel of Mark, the fact that it exists, is part of the answer to that question. Think about this. This community that is poor, that doesn't have a lot of resources, this community that is being persecuted, that is struggling sat down to make sure 
that they would produce a book that others could read so that they could know who Jesus was. This church community that is struggling existed for no other reason than to tell people about Jesus. That was the whole point. And oftentimes we forget that's really why the church exists, to tell others about Jesus. And if you want to persevere in faith, telling others about Jesus, doing what the church community that produced the gospel of Mark did is the best way to strengthen your faith. Reminding yourself of the stories of faithfulness you've seen in your life. Reminding yourself of the stories of faithfulness you've you've seen in other people's lives. Telling those stories. Pointing out the work God is doing. Helping people understand who Jesus is. That's the point. That's the good soil. That's what the church is meant to do. That's what sustains faith. We can think church is about so many things. But at the end of the day, it's about helping others understand who Jesus is and deepening our understanding of Jesus so that we can help other people have hope. And this is why I just appreciate the gospel of Mark so much. I know many of us, when we think about talking about Jesus with others, it feels like maybe a little uncomfortable, maybe a little awkward. We won't have the right words. We won't have the right statements, the way we do it will be awkward. It won't make sense. Well, guess what? That's the gospel of Mark. It doesn't have the perfect words. It's not structured perfectly. It doesn't care about being the best gospel. It just cares that somebody gets a picture of Jesus that changes their life. That's the good soil. Please pray with me. Lord, We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that your gospel comes in the form of four different books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We thank you that they're distinct from one another. We thank you for each of their voices. And help us to follow the example of the church that originally produced the gospel of Mark. Help us to tell people about you. Help us to understand that that's what good soil means. That that's what bearing fruit, producing means. Is letting other people know who you are, sharing the hope we have, loving them, caring for them, and telling them about you, about your grace, about your love, about how you embrace them. Help us to share that hope with others, Lord. And Lord God, as we go to take our offering now, use this offering for that purpose, that we would be able to tell others about you, that we as a church will be able to share the hope we have in you. Help us to not worry about being a perfect church. Help us to not worry about being the best church. Help us to instead only worry about whether or not people understand who you are and what we can do to help them in that, Lord. Use this offering towards that end. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. a word 
Please. 